Good morning. Hey, I'm Pete, one of the pastors here. Uh, I just want to say good morning, welcome. Uh, good to see everybody here this morning, uh, especially if you're new with us. Uh, we're glad you're here. It's beautiful, uh, beautiful morning. Uh, I, I think all of us have been enjoying being outside here. And uh, here we have another beautiful day, so praise the Lord. Um, Hey, uh, for those of you online and joining us online, uh, we welcome you as well. I know it's uh, sometimes a little bit, you know, a little, little bit of distance here, uh, obviously, this morning between us. Uh, so make that extra effort to reach out, you know, say, say hi to somebody that you don't know this morning, uh, connect with somebody. Uh, and if there's a friend or uh, someone who you haven't seen in a while here, uh, maybe give them a call. Uh, make that effort to uh, reach out and connect. Um, I think that that is, in fact, the love of Christ to initiate uh, with each other. Let's, let's start by prayer here. Gracious God, we thank you that you are here with us this morning. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us, that you have surrounded us with just reminders of your care and love for us in your creation, in your created beings here, in our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that this morning you would uh, use your word to reach into our hearts and bring new life to us. We pray that you would use this time for your good glory to refresh us to know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so today we'll be uh, looking at the last section of Luke. Um, we've come quite a long way uh, following the life of Jesus here. And I've looked ahead. We're in for a, a happy ending. Um, so our passage today starts in Luke 24, uh, verse 36. And earlier in this chapter, Luke describes uh, an encounter, several encounters with the risen Jesus. Uh, the first is at the, the tomb and then on the road to Emmaus. And these accounts provide context for this chapter this passage here that we're going to look at today, and combined uh, with our passage, they authenticate Jesus's resurrection. So I'm going to break this section down uh, into three parts. Jesus's physical resurrection, Jesus's uh, messianic identity, and Jesus's ascension. So let's now, now look at uh, verses 36 to 43, where we'll see Jesus demonstrating his physical resurrection. I'll start here reading in 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Uh, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so let's stop here, and uh, we'll talk about this first section, and I'll read the other sections uh, later. Um, I think that this mood of joy and excitement at this point makes total sense after they get over that initial startle. Um, I'm not personally easily startled, but my wife Heidi is, and I kind of have fun with that around the house sometimes. Uh, So I I kind of get what's going on here. Uh, When we're startled, we experience this biochemical rush, uh, and it can actually end in sort of a feeling of euphoria. You know, why some of you enjoy uh, watching those crazy, scary movies you watch. Um, and, and so I get the sense that this seems to be what's happening uh, here when the disciples move on from their initial fright into this joy and amazement. Um, like those videos of soldiers uh, surprising their families, there's a little bit of a shock as they stand back in joy. Uh, and they can't believe their teary eyes that it's Jesus. Uh, It's just too good to be true. And in all that joy and amazement, Jesus demonstrates uh, his shared humanity, his shared experience with them. Uh, His physical body is alive again. Uh, Of course, there are long-standing arguments as to why it's really important that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. But suffice it to say this morning that it's important to us that Jesus physically was alive because we are created as biological beings in a biological world. If the resurrection Jesus initiated for all who believe in him uh, was only a spiritual one, it would not be all that we're created to be. We're created beings at home in this biological system around us, and, and God is redeeming what he created in Adam and Eve. Uh, Speaking of redemption, I think that it's amazing that we see the wounds in Jesus' hands and his feet. Jesus could have risen without blemish, but instead he retains these wounds. And these wounds seem to corroborate his identity, for sure. But they also remind us of uh, his sacrifice for us. By his wounds, we were healed. His wounds relate to us, and they remind us that we carry wounds as well. And rather feel shame about our woundedness, we can instead be transparent about ourselves. So don't reject your wounds. Our wounding can be remade glorious in God's eyes as well. And when we feel that we need to be more, Uh, Jesus can reveal a redeemed image of who we are, wounds and all. It's not about sort of fronting an image of perfection. Um, By no means. I think that we so need to hear that in our society that so often fakes perfection. To see our risen Lord with nail holes in his hands. Jesus came in humility, uh, but he also willingly continued in this humble biological world of humanity. 
And, and it seems to mean so much to Jesus that he be united with his brothers in the flesh, that he goes for this piece of broiled fish. Does anyone else think that uh, it looks like Jesus is having a little bit of fun with this? Uh, firstly, I'm sure that he could have ar- arrived in any way that he wished, but he sort of beams into their presence. Uh, and then there's this whole fishy-eating e- escapade. Uh, it says that he took this piece of fish and he ate it, and not specifically with them, uh, but just in their presence. It, it's not like they're having dinner here together. It's more like this strange sideshow event where the disciples are waiting to see if the, the fish just falls to the ground. And imagine the disciples, they're kind of gathered around just watching while Jesus does this, this little show and tell, you know. He's, it's like... And what was that, Jesus? Uh, it's a miracle. Maybe there was another miracle in the latrine that, later that night. All right, maybe uh, I should just start reading the next section here. I'll tell you, I think Luke gave us the Cliff Notes version of this story. And there's a shift now from Jesus eating the fish to authenticate his physical resurrection to him moving on to authenticate his messianic identity. So I'll start reading again here in 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the, and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So it's pretty clear here that Jesus is declaring himself as the Messiah. Not the Messiah of their expectations, but the Messiah of their needs. Uh, Not the Messiah of the scribes and Pharisees, but the Messiah that God intended. And this reorientation require Jesus to open the disciples' minds by laying out how the prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures were fulfilled in his mission, in his death, and in his resurrection. Uh, These are crucial tenets of Christianity. When the apostle Peter wrote, uh, we do not follow cleverly devised story, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He refers both to the resurrection and the prophecies that Jesus opened their minds to understand. Later, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ, that's what you know, Christians would call the Messiah, died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then the twelve, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. You can find that in Corinthians. The disciples, see, they learned that their interpretation, well, they learned their interpretation of Hebrew scriptures from Jesus. It was Jesus who taught the word and Jesus who embodied the word to them. It's Jesus who revealed to them uh, what we have even has been passed down to us today. Jesus started his uh, three-year ministry by, pe- by treach- 
by teaching uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins. And we see here Jesus, again, talking about what will be preached in his name. It's this repentance and forgiveness of sins. We see this with the same theme in Mark chapter 1 and in Luke 3 and Luke 8 as sort of the summary message. And he's saying to teach really what he's always been teaching all along. And that general call for repentance uh, and promise for forgiven sins uh, is now more explicitly attached to Jesus uh, as uh, the one to bring about and enable and empower that. Uh, In whose name will repentance and forgiveness be preached? Uh, Jesus says, in the name of the Messiah who suffered and rose from the dead on the third day. Uh, And ultimately, that's in the name of Jesus. The good news here is that Jesus provides us a way to move from repentance to forgiveness. Uh, Through his death and resurrection, we have a way to transcend the sin-induced death in our lives and, and to move on to new life that Jesus empowers us to be transformed, to be walking in. We need to embrace the powerful work of repentance in our lives to embrace the blessed promise of forgiveness. And following Jesus means kind of retreading that same familiar path uh, again and again as we discover new paths of righteousness, not out of drudgery, but because we've come to experience joy in walking with Jesus, experiencing more and more of that transformation, that that beautiful forgiveness and transformation that Jesus offers us. And we are close to Jesus when we experience that, that need for the Savior. He offers us freedom in ways that we really, we could never even imagine. And in a culture today that can deny personal responsibility and increasingly cast people into sort of persecutor versus victim groups, uh, we need to remember that taking personal responsibility sows those seeds of repentance. The repentance calls us closer to Christ, closer to forgiveness, and really closer to each other then as well. There is a great deal of joy and reconciliation in repentance. And the the parable of the prodigal son is one of my favorites. Uh, When the prodigal son repents in the pig pen and returns to his father, he experiences not only forgiveness, but great joy in reuniting with his father. And Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And given that Romans 3 and Psalm 53 says that no one is righteous, not one of us, I think that that applies to all of us. So if you want to experience the joy of the Lord, take note of of where you can repent. There's always room for us to grow and move away from unhealthy, destructive patterns towards greater Christ-likeness and greater freedom in our life. It's clear that uh, Jesus intends the Holy Spirit to be that empowering force for Christ-likeness. And Jesus impels the disciples to press pause on their extension of his ministry until 
You've been clothed with power from on high, as he says. And while this is an oblique reference uh, to the Holy Spirit, we do see elsewhere Jesus using that direct term, Holy Spirit, such as in Acts chapter 1, where essentially this whole scene is is replayed. Uh, And there Jesus says clearly, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to a gospel witness in the character of our lives, and it's the Holy Spirit that we dare even to preach repentance and forgiveness in a world that doesn't want to hear that. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we dare to transcend cultural barriers uh, and national borders, believing that Jesus offers salvation to all people. And now let's read this closing uh, section here, uh, verses 50 to 53. Um, When he had let them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And when they worshipped him, they then returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they continually stayed at the temple praising God. So as Jesus leads the disciples out into the vicinity of Bethlehem, um, I think it harkens back to their time on the roads together. And unlike his other mysterious comings and goings, uh, here Jesus uh, is walking with them again. And this must have been a very sentimental time, I think, uh, for the disciples in their recollection as uh, they followed Jesus one more time down those dusty roads of, of Bethany. And then Jesus blesses them, which I'm sure was an incredible, incredible blessing. And, and then he's taken up into heaven. And, and that their response here was worshiping him just to, to me indicates how they very much identify his divinity. And, and I think it also conveys this deep sense of affection that they have for Jesus. Uh, and really that's at the heart of worship. For us as well, a deep love for the Lord. And so they return to Jerusalem with great joy, having witnessed Jesus' resurrection and glorification. And Isaiah 51.11 sort of speaks to this and heralds their return to Jerusalem by saying, Those redeemed of the Lord will return and enter Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy, Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. This passage from Isaiah was probably written during uh, Israel's exile to Babylon. And similarly, the disciples uh, awaited Jesus' kingdom in uh, their vulnerability and in their struggles. They joyfully praised God in the very temple that harbored uh, some of the enemies of Jesus. And, and their joy was a living witness uh, as an attitude to adopt, not because of their circumstances, but because of a hope in God's love and God's promise. And, and Jesus taught that same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject or persecute you for following me, rejoice and be very glad because your reward is great in heaven. 
the joy of God's people is, is not determined. Our joy is not determined by our current struggles, but by our future destiny. Uh, the disciples, the church, and yes, us gathered here today have that same destiny. We hold the good news that brings great joy proclaimed at Jesus' birth. Uh, we hold Jesus' spirit within us. And, and whether or not things are going well for you at work, uh, in ministry, uh, in your family, or, or however you measure your life, uh, be joyful in the company of Jesus, knowing that Jesus brings enduring and satisfying companionship. Build that strong relationship. Uh, because Jesus, whatever is going on in your life, will never leave you never forsake you. It's been said that each of the disciples went through their own suffering, uh, all but one being martyred, and realized that they knew the company of their suffering Lord in those times. And Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That secret is knowing Jesus. There are many joys in this life uh, you know, such as weddings and children, uh, the sweet aroma of good friendship. However, joy, despite our circumstances, uh, is a good sign that Jesus' spirit is within you. We can choose joy, uh, knowing our future redemption. You know, it makes me happy to worship with you here outside. Um, there are simple joys here. I love the trees and the smells, the, the sound of uh, wind on some days. Um, it makes me smile to sort of see you know, all of you scattered about here. And I ha hope that we venture to do this again next year. Um, maybe by choice next year more than by necessity. Um, but we have a Savior that relishes this physical world as well. Uh, he carries our own biology with him as part of himself into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. And that's important because we're physical, biological beings that need that same hope to be physically raised from the dead and physically taken up to heaven. And Jesus shows that he did both and promises that he will do both for us as well. And it's all part of his big plan to redeem us. So maybe this morning, uh, Jesus' call to repent and receive forgiveness uh, speaks to you. Maybe uh, your need for the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning. All that's good news um, because Jesus can resurrect the joy in our lives. And when jo true joy comes, um, it comes from knowing and following Jesus. So let's close in prayer. Lord God Almighty, we thank you that you have given us uh, a source of true joy. We pray that we would uh, tap into uh, the joy that, that you've offered us in your companionship, uh, in your presence with us. And we just pray here this morning that um, as we go into our week, that some piece of your word here from your parting comments 
to the disciples, that, that some piece of that would speak directly to us and would be uh, something that would transform us this week, uh, that we would be able to abide with you, walk with you, and live in the fullness of your life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I would give a big applause here for Chris. Good morning. Thank you, Pete. That was great. Um, we have been in this gospel story for about a year and a half. And, um, and indeed, the gospels themselves show us that there is a happy ending. There is a happy ending. And um, there is a joy that we can have. And what a great, what great relevance for the times that we're in to recognize as we struggle with various things and struggle with life that there is this story of redemption that as a follower of Jesus, if you are squarely in that, then you have a resource of joy. And Pete, thanks for that great reminder. Just a few remarks before our final blessing and a few things to make sure that you're aware of. And again, all of the, um, did you love the sound of planes too? I th thought about that. <laughs> um, all of our announcements are in the e-letter. They're also in the uh, app that you have there. But a couple of things to pick out next week. Uh, we will finish. Uh, I'm going to give a wrap-up of the book of Luke and uh, some of the great themes that we can take away. And uh, then the following week, we're going to begin some new uh, adventures in terms of our, uh, our learning, so, which we'll be communicating to you. But next week, we'll do a uh, wrap-up of Luke's gospel. And then I did want to point out that this uh, past Friday, again, in your e-letter, we uh, gave you the beginning traces of our next uh, transition. It's been a year of change, adjustment, transition. And uh, what we have determined is that we would like to meet outside as long as we think possible. And uh, so we are going to try to continue to meet throughout the month of October. And uh, so we've set a target date for November the 1st to move back inside to meet in person uh, with, uh, with mitigation. So all of that's going to be communicated. And, uh, and we also are planning to do a brief survey. We hope to get that out this week. Uh, that survey will certainly help us in planning in terms of uh, the number of services that we'll be offering. So uh, please, as many of you as possible, reply to that survey that will help us as we, through September and October, plan for that transition uh, back inside. As uh, Pete noted, I um, want to welcome any of you. I know there's been lots of uh, visitors and guests to our outdoor service. Uh, so glad you're coming, and if you would like to get a little more information about Linworth, uh, please visit our connections table. Uh, it is there in the uh, one of the blue tents. It's right next to the, uh, the Cross Crew uh, uh, banner, and we have a gift bag we want to give you with some uh, gifts from us and some more information about Linworth. There is a Connect card there you can sign. Uh, you can fill that out, and again, just let us know you're here 
so we can begin to get to know you and connect a little bit more with you. So we're really appreciative of you coming. And then be sure to check out the rest of the announcements. Uh, we have an um, uh, in-depth uh, study of the Scripture coming up, beginning actually tomorrow night with uh, our friend Corey Bacher. Um, there's also a uh, men's uh, retreat gathering called the Wilderness Retreat. There's information about that as well as another new online women's study. So check out that information as well. Would you go ahead and stand, please? And Pete is going to lead us. Pastor Pete is going to lead us in a final blessing. Well, I don't know. Uh, that. I wish I could give you the blessing that Jesus gave. Um, but I know that Jesus is blessing each of us. So I, I'll... Uh, Instead, to bless you here with the blessing found in Numbers uh, chapter 6. So if you would, raise your hands to receive a blessing from the Lord. So the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.